Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani, recording this on a Monday morning. We were hoping to get this podcast up on Sunday night as we normally do, um, to have it in time for your Monday commutes, but none of us were able to string it together. The squad is out of commission today, leaving me to break this down for you today. We have a ton of questions to go through, and I'll probably just focus on those questions because it takes us through basically everything about this Girona loss, including the Ramos suspension situation and other stuff. Before we get into all that, patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge, get specific rewards, guaranteed responses to your questions, podcast appearances, um, a bunch of other cool stuff. And uh, one of your one of your rewards, if you pledge $10 or more, is you get a specific shout-out on the podcast. So before we get underway, shout-out to our $10-plus patrons as follows. Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefane, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Nicole Gant, Sergio Monleon, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Atiri, Oluwapamimo, Oladunjoy, Christian Toft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Tyler Dixon, Raghav Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujaiwani, Pena Maridista, San Francisco Bay Area, Catherine Fagundo, Zoran Bosancic, Swayayala, Rafael Servia, Umair Mahadi, Magnus Lext, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, Brendan Powers, Daniel Smith. Thank you so much to all of you amazing patrons. There were a couple of new ones in there that um, kind of threw me off because I was just, I, I wasn't able to pronounce them properly probably um but as i practice and as you send me your messages um correcting me i will get that better next time so might be more fitting that we're recording this on monday instead of sunday gives us time to cool down a little bit um as as many of you around the world have done like me uh i was in canada for this one so even local time when I've been there for noon games, it just it's it's early. It really feels early even at noon. So we're up at six a.m. here. Um, if you're on the west coast, obviously you're up even earlier. And uh, and as many people in Asia have also pointed out, hey, don't complain because they're up at like at three a.m. or whatever. So wherever you were in the around, around the world, it probably wasn't the most ideal time for you, including if you were in Spain, because um, no one likes to get up that early. Because a noon game, you got to be there early. You got to wake up early. You know, you want to sleep in. Um, it's not the best time. Anyways, besides the point, but I was I was out late the night before. Obviously, you set your alarm for this one. You watch it. You're like, okay, well, that wasn't great. Um, this morning sucks already. And uh, at the very least, we got a shout out on the podcast from Ray Hudson, um, who shouted out actually Managing Madrid's article. Um, the one that Matt wrote about Benzema needing some rest. And that may have actually been timely, given that maybe he does need some rest. But that was probably the only positive thing that came out of this game was that shout-out from Ray. And, uh, you know, my thoughts on this was that I thought the first half was efficient. It wasn't otherworldly. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't sensational. But it was good. The The press was efficient. Uh, bar, like, two, three occasions where Girona broke through the press with some some kind of miscommunications and some failed rotations in the press. Two of those led to chances. One of them, Courtois saved. The other one, Ramos and Baran mopped out together with some good positioning. So despite not having a great first half, it was very efficient. They limited Girona to not much. And, um, you know, offensively, while it wasn't surges of waves of attack, it was it was good in the sense that a lot went through Asensio. And... Um, and maybe we can mention him as a bright spot in a sense. I thought 
he actually did a lot of good things, even though he didn't score in this game. And that being that one Solari reward him for his for his Ajax performance, which we've already talked about in the post game show. But almost everything went through him on the left side, and that was something that Real Madrid did throughout the first half. And that's not something unique. I mean, we this team in recent years just goes to the left. And I mean, you can go back a long way with like. Uh, if you want to go all the way back to Zidane and Roberto Carlos, if you want um, Solari McManaman on that left wing, Figo being interchangeable, a lot just goes to the left in general. And uh, and this, the last few years, having so many players on that side, like Isco, Kroos, Marcelo, Ronaldo, Benzema, who drifts out there a lot, a lot goes to Real Madrid's left. And one thing we've seen over under Lopetegui this season before he got fired was that and by the way, this also just goes back to the Spanish national team too. It's very, and it has a lot to do with just like a lot of ball dominant players who are right footed, who will just naturally play on the left side and do a lot. And uh, and in this game, you had Asensio Marcelo. Obviously, that was a huge connection in the first half, and Asensio made that run in behind Girona's wing backs consistently. And uh, and by the way, just quickly mention because. A lot of people were like complaining about, you know, no Modric and stuff like that. Obviously, yeah, that sucks. Girona were also without Mojica, Benitez, uh, Seydou Dumbia, Mark Muniz, Borja Garcia, Bernardo Espinosa. So like they were kind of walking wounded too. And they were they were missing a lot of players against us in the Copa clashes as well. And this team obviously on the pitch was more than good enough to win this game. So I never looked at those as a, as a terrible, terribly good excuse um, to not be... A, a team like Girona who hasn't won in 13 games. And, um, you know, a lot going through that left-hand left side. Asensio made that run a lot. Marcelo overhit a few passes to him, but also hit him a couple times. Casemiro hedging to the left a lot. Kroos a lot. Benzema to the left. Um, and that, what was cool about that is because then you look at the opposite side and Lucas Vasquez and Odriozola were usually wide open for a switch. And... Kroos, Kroos uncharacteristically kind of, he, he misplaced a couple of those crossfield switches, but I thought we didn't do that enough in the first half, but I thought overall, overall it was good. And then obviously Kroos's long-range diagonal pass to Casemiro was what opened the scoring in this game. But again, like overall it was good. You know, there were some there were some signs that like, you know, maybe Girona gets a gets a couple breaks here and maybe they make it uncomfortable for Real Madrid. But overall it felt comfortable even though Real Madrid... <clears throat> Uh, weren't running away with this game and man how things change and how quickly they change because that first half you go into halftime feeling good you have a nice goal great pass from Kroos great finish from Casemiro in traffic on that header and Varane and Ramos playing good and you know Marcelo getting getting a an appearance here and looking good offensively not maybe not not this not at his peak but he's still looking good Asensio looking sharp that's a great sign um, and by the way, just mention Real Madrid's right flank quickly. I thought Porto was was doing some amazing things in this game. Porto hasn't really been himself this season. That's kind of been responsible for Girona's slip here um, during, the, during the course of the season in the post-matching era. But um, he went toe-to-toe with Odriozola twice in this game, once offensively, once defensively, and I was just kind of blown away because literally nobody keeps up with Odriozola for pace, and he's called the flash for a reason. Um, so that was really impressive to me from a Girona standpoint. Anytime Lucas Vasquez and Odriozola or Odriozola had the ball on that side, Girona did well to close them down. Um, so then you go into halftime, you're you're winning. You 
the title race is 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 not like we're not like we're not really talking ourselves into winning La Liga, but at least there's like a conversation about okay, so maybe you can kind of put together a run here. Maybe you win Clasico, like cut it to three points. Barca beat Valladolid on the weekend. They looked absolutely terrible. One of the most mortal performances from Messi I've seen in a long time. And he's had a couple of those this season. And you're like, okay, you know what? Maybe there's something here. Um, that second half was wildly different. And again, not that Real Madrid were phenomenal in the first half. But one thing that Girona did, and Eusebio mentioned this in the post game, that basically what changed, they pressed. They pressed high. And they made Real Madrid so uncomfortable. And I'll get to this. So this is where I'm going to get to questions because I don't want to repeat myself in the questions and answer them. But that was a huge part of the reason Real Madrid just um, looked so bad. They can't deal with the press. I don't know what it is. It's just under Solari and even under Lopetegui. They inherited this problem from him as well. So it's not fair to pin it on Solari completely, but they just can't figure out how to get out of a press, which is incomprehensible given the amount of press resistant players in the team um, that are so good at it, even on, on the field. Like you can, Isco is one of them, but not in the field, but Cruz is, and Marcelo is, and so there's really no excuse. Varane and Ramos are terrifically talented passing center backs who should be able to get out of this. And now there's a case for Casemiro, and we kind of know his problems are chronic, and he he's uncomfortable with anyone breathing down his neck, but this is just, this was a collective problem. So let's get to questions. First patron questions will actually take us away from this game, which is kind of nice because it takes us to like maybe happier days. Marin Myrtle says, Hey guys, love the work you do. Can you analyze the Benzema-Vinicius duo from a tactical standpoint? Benzema appears to have a gift for creating chemistry with other forwards, even though Vinicius seems like quite a different player from the Pocho Cristiano, um, whom I watched, but I sadly missed out on his pre-knee injury freak of nature all around Cristiano. Well, Marin, you still saw like an unbelievable Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, it's an interesting question, and one we obviously didn't really see in this game because Vinicius didn't start. Um, there will be... Obviously, we're very careful to make these comparisons, and as I'm saying this, and as you're listening to this, everyone should just take note that nobody can compare it to Ronaldo and Benzema, who were a lethal, lethal combination for several several years and what i think was so great about it is that benzema is such an unselfish player a b he's comfortable moving without the ball constantly c he drops deep d he goes to the the left wing a lot which means ronaldo and him were very interchangeable and the other thing that made this click is that with all those traits that benzema has Ronaldo is the greatest off-ball mover in the history of football. And I can't emphasize this enough. I can't repeat it enough. Um, I mean, there's a lot of analysis that's gone into stuff like this, but the the very silly and lazy debate when anyone says Ronaldo, all he does is tap in, tap in's whatever, tap in artists. If it was that easy, every single player would be scoring 50 goals a season. And... You, they just can't. They can't do it for one season, let alone ten seasons. And you watch him move the way his little shoulder feints without the ball, coaxing defenders to go one way, then going to the to the other way. He he does it so well that Benzema also and his ingenuity. It was a it was a perfect match, and often you would see Benzema being the one cutting in from the left, with Ronaldo being the one getting in good positions. And oftentimes you would see that play starting with Ronaldo on the left with him 
starting a counterattack from a deeper position, getting it to Benzema, and then moving, kind of this pass and move sequence where he goes into space and finds maneuvers his way and navigates his way into a goal-scoring position and Benzema finds him. I think that's what made it really special. And then on the odd occasion, you also saw Ronaldo, who is a very underrated passer, um, also get Benzema into those positions. What is interesting about this Benzema-Vinicius duo that's looked so good is that Vinicius is typically the one feeding Benzema. So, And while it, it does happen on the flip side where Benzema is the creator, and by the way, again, if you watch any of the goals Benzema scores, often he's the one who created the attack in the first place or won the ball or starting a counterattack from a deeper position, moving. Um, Vinicius is such an unselfish player. And I think some people maybe mistake his bad decisions with selfishness. I don't think they're, they necessarily go hand in hand. Like the Classico, I think it was, it, he's, he had those two passes he should have made that he didn't make, which I think puts Real Madrid ahead by two goals instead of one. But he's not an unselfish player. He's not a selfish player. And the way he cuts in from the left is so dangerous because, first of all, he can drop his shoulder and just get past the defender really easily. And this is something that Rodrigo Goes has in Brazil, by the way. I remember writing an article about him. And, and so much of his, when you watch the film with him, is like a lot of those little shoulder drops and he just tucks in behind, be, um, underneath the defender and goes past them. Vinicius did it against Jimenez against in the penalty lead-up. And he did it against Ajax on the Benzema goal, where he kind of just drops his shoulder, and a defender just can't catch up to that because they're not in position to do it unless they just clean out his legs and take a take a yellow or red card in that position. And he, when he gets into that, then you have multiple defenders collapsing towards him because they don't they want to take away his threat and they're not sure what he's going to do because Vinicius then has multiple options. He can cut to the left, he can cut in on the right. And though he hasn't been clinical with his shooting, he can definitely hit that far post curly, and he's done that with Castilla, and he's done it with the A squad this season. Or he can keep going and find a square pass to an open player like he did with Benzema. And I, that, watch, that Ajax goal was so great on so many levels because you could keep watching it and just find new things that were so special about it. For example, no one really realized that Gareth Bale made that goal possible just by cutting in from the right and taking two defenders with him so that Benzema has space. And then Vinicius cutting in and cutting in and being patient and patient. His patience and his ability to suck in all the defenders before releasing a pass to Benzema also got Benzema open. And then obviously Benzema's movement and finishing capped it all. So I think that Marin, I think that the relationship is is quite exciting. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't really overlap so that Benzema and Vinicius are in their peaks which would be, I guess, a younger Benzema and Vinicius fast forward to like, I don't know, five years. I did, I mean, it's hard to predict, but you could you could kind of make a case that, you know, he would be his mid-20s when he's in his peak. So it's an interesting partnership. It's looked good. And um, it's nice. It was nice, Marin. Thanks for the question because it, it was nice to just distract us from the studio on the game. Umair Mahadi says, Hey, Keon, I've been thinking a lot lately about Madrid managers. Most of the Madrid fans don't think of Solari as a coach beyond this season and even if he manages to win a trophy. There's been a lot of talk about Pochettino as our next man in the dugout. I kind of feel Pochettino would go through the same struggles Lopetegui went through. Lopetegui is a good coach and was the right choice for Madrid to move ahead from the post-Cristiano and Zidane era. However, for managers like Lopetegui and Pock, 
They need time and full control on signings and who he plays and who he doesn't to implement their style of play and get the team playing in a particular identity. Lopetegui was under pressure to win games. He simply had no time to work on tactics to get the team out of the dip gradually. Pac is a great coach, but hiring him when we are not going to give him time to develop his style of play is of no use. We are most likely to sack him mid-season than be patient to develop what he actually can do. Just look at Spurs and see what he has developed with the resources he has. Compare his first season with his current season. Look at Pep's first season and compare with the last and current season. Look at Klopp's Liverpool. There's managers. Th- these managers were given time and full control on the signings. Although we've been winning trophies since Ancelotti, we simply don't have a single identity or style. Our playing style has varied so much even under one manager. It's time. It's high time we think of developing an identity and quality style of play. Not long ago, we had one. Uh, such as the counterattacking under Mourinho. Although I didn't like the style of play, at least we had one. Great question, Umar. The identity thing is a recurring question, and I think under Zidane, like you're trying to figure out what the identity is, and the easy like cop out answer is, well, it was direct fluid football. Like, so what does that mean? What does that look like? A lot of crosses. Okay. Um, to me, Zidane's identity was actually versatility, and this is coming from. A manager who, like his first season, he was labeled as just out of ideas, without tactics. And while I don't think his tactics were good all the time, even the Champions League run that we won, I thought there were a lot of holes, but we got it done, which is, you know, you can't take credit from Zidane for that. Then we had a lot of holes in the 17-point deficit last season with Zidane in La Liga. So anytime people say, let's, you know, Zidane, this never happened. I mean, we always have to remember that ridiculous deficit last season. Um, and terrible performances in domestically throughout. But his identity also was that he was he was versatile tactician and his adjustments were bang on. He was good at looking at the game, first half problems, going into halftime and adjusting those things and then making the team look better in the second half. And he was tactically versatile. The idea of that, like, if we bring in Puck and he doesn't have time when we sack him from midseason... So I think there is a lot to be said about continuity. And I think continuity really matters. And I think the examples you brought up, Umar, about, um, you know, look at Klopp's first season and now with Guardiola, with with Pochettino, etc. You can really see continuity paying off in the long term and just letting and having patience and letting these managers kind of grow and develop their tactics. I will say about Pac, if you give him... First of all, Lopetegui didn't really have a full summer. He also was candid about saying, I didn't know that Cristiano Ronaldo, I wasn't going to be able to count on him. He had the World Cup fiasco and also the World Cup, which means players were coming back late for the summer. Um, So you don't have a World Cup year this year. So assuming if you get somebody like Pac early in the campaign, and um, and again, we don't know how the season's going to pan out because there's a... There is a universe where Solari wins the Champions League. I don't know if it's a likely universe. I don't think it's a likely universe. But there's a universe where that exists, and he just continues. Um, There's another universe where you don't win the Copa, La Liga, or Champions League. And even if you win Copa, that's probably not enough. And you go into the summer with... And let's say like he wins the Copa, Solari wins the Copa, the board doesn't really want him to continue, but they can't get a manager and they can't negotiate with Levy to get Pac out of his contract. Um, there's that scenario. So let's say Solari stays on. Okay, that's one scenario. 
But let's say you get Pac, and you get him early enough that he has a whole summer to to implement the tactics he wants, his philosophy. You also give him a break, a grace period to start the season. He gets a full preseason with his players. And I think the idea of like, oh, we can't, he needs to be able to sign the players he wants. You basically have everyone in this team that you need, bar a really like a clinical goal scorer like a Harry Kane. And hey, maybe he brings a Harry Kane with him. I'm not sure. But he has his, his talented wingers. He has his players who are brilliant pressers, which Della Ali, to me, that, that's one of his most underrated traits. He's so intelligent off the ball, but you have players like that in the team. You have your Iscos, you have your Asensios, you have your Ceballoses, you have even, um, you know, players who are a bit higher up the pitch, like Vinicius and Bale, who are both intelligent defensively. So you already have those players in the squad. Um, you have your technically gifted midfielders, you have your anchors, you have a really good defensive line. So it's not like he has to go out and give like Florentino a huge shopping list. He has pretty much everything at his disposal. And this is like, a, by the way, a coach who this summer wanted certain players for Tottenham and they just didn't spend. And he's still making it work with the resources he has. And he's doing it against like a, a crazy good Liverpool and City side. So I think if you get Puck early enough, I think he'll be fine. Brendan Power says, Personally, I think it's quite clear that Vinicius is not a 9 and doesn't have the attributes to be a 9. This is from my perception. We suffered because of the sub of Asensio for Benzema. Um, and that was the, if that was the case, Asensio should have played as a false 9. We had loads of pressure and nobody dropped deep to help the midfield. Maybe those attributes will come for Vinicius and eventually uh, they will, but he does seem to be better suited on the wing and with his back to the touchline and not the net. If you want v- Vinny to make runs as a 9, then sure. But then you need somebody in there who's either a 10 or a false 9. His hold-up play isn't good enough for Solari to be throwing him out as a striker in a situation like that. We saw it in the game We saw it in the game that Benzema broke his finger as well. We couldn't get the ball out of a half. Benzema's a key player to our build-up, and Mariano doesn't do a terrible job of it either. I just thought we struggled to get the ball out of our half, and Solari recognized that after the goal and pulled off Vinicius from Mariano to get a true striker in there. I think Vinicius is an amazing player and will be, but I think it's quite clear he's better suited on the wing than as a striker. What are your, what are your thoughts? I completely agree with you. Now, mind you, I, I, when Vinicius came on, that was kind of when I was writing my immediate reaction. Um, but I did notice, just kind of going back and watching it, that he actually... Even though Real Madrid weren't good, and it was clear to me that Girona was more likely to score their third goal than for Real Madrid to equalize, and you can you can see that in the expected goal spike. Like after basically the 60th minute, it just escalated, and they ended up having an xG of 2.71 with Real Madrid at 1.42, and it was all after the 60th minute. Before that, Real Madrid were the most dangerous team, and then basically after the second half, they capi- they capitulated. And, uh, and they weren't likely to score. But if they were, it was most likely a Vinicius goal because he was the most dangerous player. And in this game, he actually had a lot of touches on the left. And a lot of his most dangerous sequences came from the left. Um, he only had nine touches, but they were all basically from the left and nothing in the middle. So he was playing as a winger in this game also. Um, I do agree about the point of Mariano. I think if you're going to rest... Benzema, I really like the idea of putting Mariano in there because, as you guys know, I'm a huge Mariano fan. I believe in him. 
I like what he does. I like that he's able to score goals literally like two people on earth can score. And that is he can literally throw people around, score freak headers, athletic, athletically just incredible, intelligent player. He's a good presser. He can. We've seen him actually drop deep and win the ball and start counterattacks too. I think if you give him a string of games and ask him to do stuff, I think he'll do really well. Um, so I, I agree with you, Brendan, uh, on all this. Um, next question, another question from Marin Myrtle. She says, with Ramos getting to 600 games with Madrid and also his 39th with Sevilla and, his 100 and, and, and also had 39 with Sevilla and 161 with Spain, do you think it's possible for him to get to 1,000 for club and country? I don't think it's possible, Marin. So here's, here are the numbers. He's at 601 appearances now. That, in, that is stemming from 2003, so 15 years, 600 appearances. He's also 32. So he needs, and he's been playing a lot in those, like as soon as basically from the 2004 season on. Uh, he had 42 appearances. 2005, 2006, he didn't play anything for Sevilla. He was basically all with Real Madrid. But basically from 2004 and on, he's never been under 40 appearances apart from the 15, 16 season where he had some injuries. Um, but other than that, like, I don't think he gets to that. And we always, I mean, a lot of people just compare him to Hierro because, like, you know, they're both defenders, they're both club legends. Ramos has surpassed Hierro. Hierro's, Hierro's played just over 700 games in about 17 seasons. Ramos has is just like athletically way superior and will age way more gracefully than Hierro. The Hierro at this point of his career, he was he was just a, a walking corpse. He was not good defensively. He was slow. Ramos is fine right now. So I think he'll outlive Hierro for sure. But I'm just skeptical that because you almost need like what, half a decade? At least? I think he needs more. No, he, he needs he needs more, I think. I think he needs a good six years to get to a 1,000. I don't know if he has that in him. And keep in mind that even if he plays those six years, he's not going to be playing every game because he's going to get more rest, more rotations. He's going to take a back seat, maybe a mentorship role. I just don't see it, man. I don't think it's going to happen. Question from Sajid Reyes. He says, are Solari's tactics or lack of it catching up with him? I've observed a pattern where he was relied on short bursts of high energy which last for 30 to 35 minutes every game. The good form of our key players during this period of the year, and of course Vinicius, when these factors wear out, we look predictable, stale and out of ideas, as it was the case in the second half today. What are your thoughts? Also, on a lighter note, um, what does Vinicius need to do to be more marketable? He's an absolutely breathtaking talent, but not the most good-looking. What should he do? Maybe grow his hair like Ronaldinho? Well, that's ridiculous. I'm just kind of ignoring the second part of that question. Um, the first part of the question about Solari's tactics being found out. Um, this is a... I th so th there's a question about, like, can, he, can the team sustain their energy for the full game? In this game, they did not sustain their energy at all like in the second half their their press basically just peeled away um they seeded possessions they weren't comfortable with their passing they the intensity dropped twofold threefold <clears throat> i would i wouldn't also i would argue that the 35 35 35 minutes per game of high energy um 
I think it's not necessarily true because he's actually been able to sustain it for a full 90. We've seen that we've we saw it sustain against Sevilla for the full 90. Um, in previous games, he has like half hour in the first half, and then he drops off, and then in the second half they bring it back for like another 15, 20 minutes, and that's not uncommon in world football. Like you see teams pressing early, and then they they conserve energy and then they will bring it back sporadically. I don't think that was the problem. The problem for me still remains. And by the way, like these, he rotated. So like, there's no excuse for, for, you know, because you had Marcelo in this game, Asensio in this game. Um, you had Odriozola in this game. You had Ceballos in this game. You had, well, I guess that, uh, those were the, the main people who were rotated in. So the question can't be about sustaining energy. These are not players who have been playing a heavy amount of minutes. I mean, others you can argue, but not all of them. I'd also say that the main problem tactically with Solari is just continues to be dealing with the press. He just can't do it. So I think you, he needs to figure all of that out. Um, Essa Hariri says, Even though we lost, I saw something different from Case today. He was very involved offensively, putting nice vertical passes and diagonal crosses, and surprisingly, he was able to move forward with the ball. Why is he so poor in dribbling or keeping the ball on his feet in general? I mean, shouldn't he have learned a little bit from Kroos, Modric, or Marcelo after all these years? He produces nice stuff every now and then, like his cross to Ronaldo against Juve, so it seems like it's a confidence issue. Look, I think you just, some players will just, every player has their strengths and weaknesses. I don't, so I don't think, a lot of things you just can't, learn or you just won't have it in your game and i guess the the parallel to this is that if it was that easy to learn or change your game completely marcelo after um over a decade with the club would have been have improved defensively instead he's regressed if anything and and so it's not it's not something you can easily i guess just throw into your game i will say about casemiro throughout the years he's had games where he just you're like, whoa, where did this come from? He's press resistant. He dribbles out of defenders. Uh, I mean, we've his goal scoring is nothing new. He we, we knew that since his Porto days that he can shoot from distance. He can he can throw people around the box. That stuff has been really huge, by the way. Like the the goals from Casemiro and the midfield in general. Modric, Kroos, Casemiro, uh, Ceballos, Llorente, Isco have all contributed goals in their in their playing time, and that's really helped in this in this run. Um, so that the Casemiro, his offense has been good, but I, you know, I just think that some, some, while he's improved and maybe he'll continue to improve, it may be unrealistic to expect him to just be a completely press resistant player. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised with a lot of his offensive stuff in general. Um, but he he just continues to give the ball away at the back or or dribble into defenders and 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 not be comfortable when people breathe down his neck. In this game. Um, we talk about his passing um, Essa, but he actually had the lowest passing accuracy of anyone in this, of any starter except for Benzema, which is, he was at 82.5%. Benzema was, was not good in this game. Um, but Casemiro's passing actually wasn't great. He you know, it was only at 82%. Uh, question from Sheikh Atiri, second last one. This game wasn't all that bad. At least we saw Asensio and Marcelo return to form. I think Solari would have been better served by resting Benzema. He started out tired, and um, the longer the game went on, the more he faded. At least, unlike Benzema, we have a full week to rest, and I really hope that Benz rests for the next game. 
I really like how much Bale, Asensio, and Marcelo were trying to engage the game. It's something we hadn't seen from them all season. I think the prospects of winning the league are very dark, but not completely gone. Barcelona's age is starting to wear them out. With that said, do you think it'd be wise to play Mariana more in the league? That way, we'll have a fresher Benzema for the two cups. And in addition, if something happens to him, Mariano will not be rusty. On a different note, I don't like Asensio on the right. Should we should he lead should we lead El Clasico's IX game with Marcelo Regulon and Asensio or uh Saint Vincent Vinicius Jr.? Um I mean we talked about Mariano before, you know, Marcelo again, I his offense was encouraging in the first half, not great, but encouraging. Defensively, he was just you can look at that second goal. And by the way, I don't want to limit his defending to the second goal because I think that almost does it injustice to how bad he's been defensively. I was going through my notes recently. I noticed like every almost everything, every note from Marcelo I have from the Lopetegui era just has been giveaways, defensive gambles, and and just not the Marcelo of old. And so when people say like, you know, he was good under Lopetegui, I still I'm not I'm not that high on him as some others are. I don't I don't I didn't see it that way. I I've I've seen a clear regression in him. And the second goal, while I've I've looked at it so many times from multiple angles, he actually does well initially to track Porto and and just try to like get goal side of him. But then when the shot comes and Courtois saves it, he switches off in that moment and then just doesn't get there in time. And that that was probably wasn't even his worst defensive sequence. And this game and the and the game against Barcelona, the amount of times he would just hedge towards the ball carrier, regardless of how many attackers were behind him with no one covering, was just staggering to me. And if at that point you you just don't get it, I just don't know if you're gonna you're gonna change. So I started being really skeptical about benching Marcelo, even though I knew he wasn't having a good season because he's the greatest offensive fullback of all time. But I'm starting to really like the defensive safety net we get with Regulon. Plus, Regulon actually hasn't been bad offensively either. Last patron question is from Brendan Powers. He says, Update us on Ramos. I believe he misses two games, Levante and Barca. I think he has an accumulation of yellows and got a red. Can you guys fact check that? At the time of this recording, um, and I don't think anything changes, he's only missing that Levante game. So that um, that's a good thing, I guess, because we definitely don't want to lose him against Barca. Um that's basically all I have time for today. I'm about to record a Churrosi Tacticas podcast, so if you want to hop on there and listen to Diego and I analyze the Real Madrid game, but also the Barca game and Atletico game and other games in La Liga this weekend and talk some shit, uh, please switch over to that later today. Um, I'll have a bit more time to analyze some stuff. Um, but thank you for tuning in. Again, this is Kian Sobani. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you for all the support. And, uh, and hala Madrid.